nice to be back with, with you again. Uh, six of us from here were away for a conference in South Carolina and uh, was a very inspiring conference, I think uh, we can say together. Um, it was um, called Mere Anglicanism, and the, the focus was on C.S. Lewis. And so it was lecture style, which is not usually the kind of conference I go to. But I say it started in my head and fell to my heart. And so very glad that uh, I could experience that together with five others from here. I want to lead you in prayer this morning, so I invite you to bow your heads with me as we talk to God. We have already worshipped you, Lord God, in song and in being together. Now we worship you as we come before you in prayer. We are grateful to be together and to interact with each other, and especially with you. Be present, Lord. Be near to us and speak to us through your word. All of us come with joys and burdens today. Some of our burdens we can share. Others we need to leave with you. Meet us where we are. Surround us with those who care and with encouragement from you. We are mindful and grateful for the events in our church family this week. So I want to thank you that once again we are able to plan a missions trip to Mexico. I pray for the group that is going to meet after the service today that they would have wisdom and understanding. I thank you for the seniors in our church and for their many contributions in the past and now even in the present to the ministry here. I'm very grateful for the birth of Gavin to Nathan and Letitia. I ask that you would bless them as a family. And I pray for Cohen, too, that he would be grateful for a new brother. Today, we remember Cynthia Friesen as she joins the first Thai MB Women's Conference. I pray that there would be such a blessing for each other and that they may leave encouraged in their faith. I pray for those who come without faith that they would leave with faith. Thank you, Lord, for the work you're going to do. Thank you for Pauline, who has heard a good result about her cancer. I pray that you would continue to be with her. And then for Samantha's grandmother in England, who is not doing as well. Thank you that your presence is wherever we are. Hear our prayer on behalf of these requests. Today, we will continue to listen to your word from the book of Colossians as we are reminded to be encouraged in heart and united in love, may we become well-practiced in these virtues. Thank you for our salvation in Jesus Christ. I am grateful that we can celebrate communion together today. It is a physical way of remembering what Jesus did for us. I pray that we would look up into your face. May we find comfort, grace, and mercy for all of our living. Give us the ability to trust you for everything. And I'll give you the praise and the glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. You take a right-hand turn down an ordinary-looking street. You park your car in front of a neat and tidy house. It is a BC box house. It is the home of your dear friends Philemon and his wife, Aphia. This modest-looking house has become a sanctuary a sacred space. It is a house of worship. It is a house of testimony and preaching. It is a house of communion and delicious fellowship meals of borscht, tacos, spaghetti, 
It is a house of prayer. You are part of a house church in the city of Colossae near the Lycus River in the Roman province of Asia. The house church has about 30 members and it was founded eight years ago by your beloved brother, Epaphras. It was Epaphras who first told you about Jesus and your life has not been the same since. You are extra excited as you hustle out of your car. The Apostle Paul has finally been granted limited email access from his jail cell in the city of Rome. He has apparently sent your little church an email of encouragement and instruction. Oddly, you have never actually met the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul. You've heard the stories, of course, Saul cheerfully volunteering to hold the coats of the executioners during the stoning of Stephen. Saul enthusiastically entering the houses of believers and having the brothers and sisters thrown into jail. Saul's blinding encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and becoming a Jesus follower. After being renamed Paul, he eventually became the legendarily tireless missionary who continually risked death, preached the good news, and planted churches throughout the world. You give a quick, familiar knock on the door and enter the house. It smells wonderfully like cinnamon buns that have just come out of the oven. The main floor soon crowds full with your dear brothers and sisters. You are so encouraged to see everyone. It can be a lonely existence being a Christian in the big city of Colossae, where there are so few Jesus followers. It is a culture that certainly does not acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Instead, the empire proclaims that Caesar is Lord. It was a bold step to become a Jesus follower. You are continually reminded of this on a daily basis. The image of Caesar is pervasive. On the money you use to buy groceries, in the town square, on the walls of the gym and the movie theater, the local temple, and all of the feasts and festivals devoted to the reign of Caesar and the glory of the empire. The pressure to conform to the way of empire is relentless. Caesar wants and expects your full and undivided allegiance. There are certainly other pressures as well. Those who want to add a lot of highly sketchy stuff to the faith. As well as the advocates for the strict Torah observance. It is crowded in the living room. You eventually claim a small spot against the wall next to the tan microsuede couch. The Apostle's email has not actually been read by anyone yet, and as is custom, it will be read for the first time to the whole church together. It is an exciting moment for your little community. Most of you are relatively new believers of Gentile background. There have been some doubts recently. Your church is eagerly looking for further instruction and, quite frankly, some practical encouragement. Archippus clears his throat loudly and begins reading the email aloud. 
Paul's love letter to your little church lands like a lightning bolt in that cramped living room. Paul is deeply affirming and thankful for your small group. Paul has heard the latest report about how you are doing, and he is encouraged. Paul has been praying for your community. Paul shares the powerful Christ hymn. Paul proclaims the mystery that has now been revealed, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul admits to struggling a bit himself in the toil of ministry. When suddenly the email is interrupted by a coughing fit by Archippus, who croaks for a glass of water. There is a pregnant pause in the air as everyone patiently marvels at what has already been said and ponders what will be said. Archippus swigs some water and starts sucking on a cherry fisherman's friend offered by a nearby saint. Then he finally continues reading and Paul writes, I want you to realize that I continue to work as hard as I know how for you and also for the Christians over at Laodicea. Not many of you have met me face to face, but that doesn't make any difference. Know that I'm on your side, right alongside you. You're not in this alone. I want you woven into a tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we've been shown the mystery. I'm telling you this because I don't want anyone leading you off on some wild goose chase after the other so-called mysteries or the secret. I'm a long way off, true, and you may never lay eyes on me, but believe me, I'm on your side, right beside you. I'm delighted to hear of the careful and orderly ways you conduct your affairs and impressed with the solid substance of your faith in Christ. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the Master. Now live in him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings but that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him. You can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, the fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in. Insiders, not through some secret initiation rite,
but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. It is an interesting exercise to read the book of Colossians nearly 2,000 years later. We are overhearing Paul's words to the church in Colossae. To put this in perspective, imagine someone reading one of your emails in the year 4023. This was not Dr. Paul with his dual PhDs writing a dry and boring theological textbook. This is Pastor Paul from prison of all places, writing a real letter to a real group of people in a real time and space. It is no accident that the city of Colossae is carefully noted early in the letter in verse 2. To illustrate this important point further, simply read chapter 4, the lengthy and heartwarming list of greetings being offered quickly puts things into perspective. So what does Paul's letter to the faithful brothers and sisters in Colossae have to say to us today as faithful brothers and sisters in Chilliwack, near the Fraser River, in the Canadian province of British Columbia? The short and accurate answer is a lot. And thankfully, we as a Broadway community are working together through this Colossians series. While we will limit our attention today to the first half of chapter 2, the reality is one enormous emphasis of Paul's throughout the letter is the importance of imagination. Paul is worried. He says as much in chapter 2, verse 1, when he declares his struggles for the churches in the Lycus Valley. The church in Colossae lived in the shadow of empire and the relentless daily pressure to conform to the imperial ways. The church in Colossae was also dealing with some other enthusiastic proponents, as noted in verse 8, who were trying to persuade them through philosophy, empty deceit, and human tradition. The imaginations of these early Christians were constantly being provoked and challenged over and over again. As the church in 2023, we may have skepticism about imagination. We are still recovering from a long era of so-called enlightenment and modernity. While cold, hard facts, logical reasoning, and science certainly have importance in tasks like building airplanes, sometimes these processes can inhibit our ability to imagine. This is a problem. As humans, we were designed by God with imaginations. This should probably not be too much of a surprise to us as avid Bible readers. The Bible is not full of neat and tidy bullet points filled with just the facts. It is filled with stories, poetry, prayers, songs, characters, details, plots, and grand expansive narratives. The Bible is not a mundane record of the results of theological science experiments distilling truth to reflect like a grocery list. Rather, the Bible is quite intentionally engaging our imaginations. It is vivid and remarkable storytelling that invites us to imagine the vibrant alternate realities that are possible with God and for God's people. 
Our creator God knows the human heart and mind are touched in a special way by stories because God created us this way. We all have a deep longing in our hearts to be by the proverbial campfire and hear the stories, share the stories, and ponder the stories within the mystical flicker of all the flames. All of which involves our imaginations. One prominent theologian comments, we tend to view the imagination not as a vehicle to access reality, but as a way to flee from reality. Tragically, we view imagination primarily as a means to create fantasy. We have largely forgotten the truth that while the imagination certainly can be merely imaginative, it also can be the means by which we experience spiritual truths as real. We might say imagination, when guided by the Holy Spirit and submitted to the authority of Scripture, is our main receptor to the spiritual world. To this point in this letter to the Colossians, Paul has dazzled the imaginations of his audience, with the obvious apex being the Christ hymn in chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. A brilliant painting of spiritual truths, deliberately contrasted with the competing false realities of Caesar's empire. Now Paul shifts gears as he seeks to encourage us in the right direction after that mountaintop experience. In short, Paul is seeking to help us imagine the practical implications of the Christ hymn, which concludes by proclaiming, And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Paul is inviting us to respond and live out this gospel truth, this so-called practical application that we may hunger for when we come here Sunday by Sunday. Paul is inviting us to use our imaginations. In Colossae, the shadow of empire, the polytheists, and the hardline law followers were seeking to shape the imaginations of the believer's church. In our current world, there are many things pressing up against our imaginations as well on a daily basis. There is the warm and comfortable glow of Netflix and their extensive collection of stories, carefully curated and presented by omnipresent, all-knowing algorithms to draw our gaze to their steady stream of narratives and gently dominate our imaginations. There is the poisonously polarizing political discourse of this continent, intentionally furthered by traditional media, social media, and backroom faceless political strategists on all sides of the spectrum. This dysfunction is fostered to divide and conquer our imaginations in order to gain our attention, our indignation, and our votes. There is the relentless and overt commercialism of our current era. For a moment, think about cows and what the original meaning of the term branding meant. We are so accustomed to the symbols, the imagery, the abundantly familiar messaging of entities like McDonald's, 
Nike, and Apple, that we don't even notice how pervasive they really are. All of this is an ongoing and idolatrous assault on our imaginations, and the result is that there's an acute danger of forgetfulness. The danger for God's people has always been forgetting. The Israelites in the Old Testament were always being exhorted not to forget. Paul's concern here for this small, thriving church in Colossae was that they would forget. That they would, tr- that they would forget their story and trade it for other stories. This is the danger we also face. This doesn't mean we shouldn't watch The Office, engage in political discourse, or eat Egg McMuffins. Rather, this is a larger question of where our focus is and the vulnerability of our imaginations to being distracted or lulled into complacency. Paul's antidote to forgetfulness is imagination. Paul exhorts us to be in touch with everything there is to know of God. Why? Because then we will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. Now, the word mystery may sound a little too cult-like in our contemporary age. However, this is not a mystery that is hidden or a secret. The mystery is Christ in whom all the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. Christ is the source and foundation of truth in this world, both 2,000 years ago for the Colossians and for us now gathered here today. When we are knowledgeable about God, we will have minds confident and at rest. That doesn't mean we will be without worry or fear. There will be moments when we are struggling to pay for rent and groceries, experiencing the pain of relational strife with a loved one, or being wheeled in a hospital bed. However, amidst the turmoil of life, if our foundation is God, we can rest assured in that ultimate truth. Paul then starts to lean on us a little bit harder and writes, You receive Christ Jesus, the Master. Now live in him. You're deeply rooted in him. I am 38 years old, and I am now old enough to have lived through various eras of church vocabulary intended to shape and form our imaginations. There was the authenticity era, when this much-vaunted A word was emphasized with such frequency that it collapsed from overuse. Then there was the purpose-driven era, which launched a few million book sales and subsequent small group discussions. This was eventually eclipsed by the missional era, which vaguely called us to something somehow much better than the purpose-driven era. Vocabulary comes and goes in the life and imagination of the church, and that's okay. It's even necessary. Paul's proclamation that as followers of Jesus, we are deeply rooted in him is profound biblical imagery from the Old Testament. 
This is vocabulary that we can utilize. In your imagination, picture the gnarliest big old tree that you can, the ones that have sprawling roots the size of tree trunks and remain unperturbed by the longest of storms and droughts because they are rooted deep. This is what Paul is calling us as a community to. To live in Christ Jesus, the master, and be that gnarly tree that cannot be swayed. The result of this type of living, it's gratitude. Paul says, let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Thankfulness is something our culture deeply struggles with. We are trained to always want more and more and never be content. We in the church, rooted in the truth of the saving work of the cross, need to imagine and reflect on our reality differently. We need to be thankful. Paul then finishes our section for today by acknowledging that people are going to try and change our minds. Paul's answer These attempts are merely empty calories without proper substance. We need to center our imaginations as insiders on the fullness of Christ, recognizing that his power extends over everything and that Christ has destroyed the power of sin. This is the truth. And the reality is the universe is simply empty without Christ. May we as a community of believers here today located on Maple and Broadway in the year 2023, allow our imaginations, individually and collectively, to be subject to the authority of Scripture and guided by the Holy Spirit. And may we hear, imagine, and apply the prayerful call of Paul, still echoing to us over the many centuries. I want you woven into a tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know of God. Amen.